So good morning. It's uh, the last day of the week, the last day of the month, the last day of the quarter. It's it's Friday, 31st of March, 2023. So we're going to kick off and start the first of our cookie webinars for 2023. Um, so good morning, everyone, and welcome to the next episode in our series of webinar sessions where we're going to discuss some of the issues and challenges facing all of us as we look to embrace a cookie future. Um, this session is being recorded and it's going to be shared afterwards, both as a webinar to watch back and in the not too distant future as a podcast to listen to. So um, who's in the room today? Who's with me? Well, um, before I kick off and introduce everyone, I'd just like to say my name is Bede Felton. I take a lead here at Habas Media in the UK around all things MarTech and data strategy, supporting our client teams and, of course, our clients. With the impact that the deprecation of third-party cookies is going to have on our industry, um, our clients, the way we work, we wanted to explore a little further, a little deeper, and get some insight from those on the front line, the real experts, about how the future of advertising will change. So joining me today is Jimmy McCann. Jimmy is Head of Digital Strategy at Search Labs. And Jimmy's going to be supporting me this year with our webinars as we interview different guest speakers from across the industry. Jimmy, great to have you here today and joining me. Thanks, B. It's great to be here. Um, just by way of introduction to myself, uh, I've been at Search Laboratory for 16 years. Uh, started in paid search, then started the SEO department and then um, headed that up for seven years before moving into, into a more strategic role. Um, I've worked on many clients over the years, such as uh, from some that you might have heard of, like Azos, Boohoo, Ted Baker, Ren Kitchens, to name a few. Great. Good good pedigree, Jimmy. Great to have you with us as, as well. Now, I know you've listened to some of the webinars we recorded last year, um, so you now know we're all yeah. about embracing a cookie-less future. Um, I'd just like to start maybe by setting the scene. You know, we're all aware that this final deprecation in Google's Chrome browser was going to happen sometime before the end of 2024. Of course, we don't know exactly when. What do we know? <laughs> uh, what do we know is what, when it happens, it's going to impact the advertising industry in terms of targeting and, and measurement. Um, in our webinar last June, we talked about GA4. In fact, we talked about Google's latest web offering, and we thought we'd revisit this topic today with a special, a special webinar focusing on just this topic. Um, especially given that it's going to be one of the leading, if not the leading cookie-less analytics solutions on the market. And further, given that impending deadline of the 1st of July this year, when GA as we know it, the universal GA is no longer going to collect data. So we thought it a worthy topic to kick off and revisit, especially as a lot of brands, probably those listening even today, are running out of time. Um, some have even said you've run out of time already. You should have done this six months ago. Um, We'll come on to that later. Um, before I do that, I'm delighted to have with us today two guest speakers, both experts in this field. Um, firstly, I'm delighted to have with me today Ruth Reynolds. Ruth is the Technology Solutions Director here at Havas Media and our go-to expert on all things technical across the ad tech and the MarTech ecosystem. Ruth, welcome. It's great to have you here with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Beat. Excellent. Now, Ruth, before we kick off, just tell us a little bit about your own personal and professional journey in digital media. How, how have you ended up at Havas? Yeah, uh, so for me, I uh, came from an engineering background originally, uh, but I wanted to move into the technology uh, sector. Uh, so I ended up picking up an internship um, in um, Ogre, which some people might be familiar with. It's a French in-app advertising company. Um, and then um, from there, I kind of made my way over to Havas. Um, I started off as an ad operations executive, really enjoyed it. And I've kind of been here eight years since then. Um, but my role has evolved a lot from moving away from the day-to-day -day campaign, setup, tracking, on-site tracking, to more kind of bigger ad tech projects and sort of ad tech consultancy for the different Havas clients. Well, working with you, I know how valuable you are and how that eight years of experience really pays off. You've obviously learned a lot in that time, covered a lot of ground. And one thing we can all guarantee is there's going to be change. And obviously today's conversation is about more of that. Um, Paul, I'm delighted to have with us our second guest, Paul Shearing. Paul is the head of analytics and data science at Search Laboratory, actually works with Jimmy. Um, this is a company that recently was acquired by Havas Media. 
Uh, we like the look of them so much, we, uh, we made, made a bid. And Paul has spent the last decade or so specialising in Google Analytics. He was keen in, in uh, Search Labs gaining their sales and service partnership with Google, and he now spends a lot of his time ensuring clients get the best-in-class enterprise web analytics implementations. Paul, welcome. It's great to have you here with us today. Yeah, well, thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Uh, Paul, I said in the intro there that you spent the last decade or so specialising in Google Analytics, but uh, let's tell us a little bit more about your personal and professional journey as well in digital and media and how you ended up at Search Laboratory. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I suppose to start off, I kind of I've got into digital in, in the early days, relatively speaking, in, in about 2006. I'd, I'd previously worked in a kind of actuarial analyst uh, in, an ins- in the insurance industry um, around software, really. But um, I saw and followed an exciting opportunity to come to Search Laboratory about 17 years ago when it was first formed. You know, when I joined the company, I was the first employee. Um, we had no office, we had no customers. Um, so it's been great really to see the progress of the company to what's quite a, a large organization now across the US, Austin, Texas, New York, and our HQ in, in the UK. So it's been great. Um, in terms of the work I do, um, when I started, I, it was all, we, we were all about paid search back in those days. So I kind of got a very strong background in paid search. Um, but like you've, you've just said, for the last 10 or so years, I've been specializing in web analytics, especially around Google Analytics, Google Analytics 360. And I kind of lead our offering really and as a Google Analytics sales partner um, on the servicing side. Well, that's, that's great. Thank you both for sort of giving us a potted history of, of your own personal journey. Given that we want to talk about GA4, it's great to have your expertise in the room today. So you're both very welcome. Uh, as we think about all things GA4, and if you don't get anything else out of this session today, I think you'll have a good understanding of what that is. Um, Paul, though, I'm going to start with you. And before we dive into GA4 specifically, I'd just like you to maybe set the scene as we think about that deprecation of third-party cookies and how you think it's going to impact advertisers and publishers in the future. Yeah, well, I suppose we move, we kind of move into... Uh away from ad platforms being able to use their third-party universal ID to track people and collect audience data. Um, So that loss of third-party cookie um, is really shifting the whole industry, really, and the whole emphasis now is to make the most of your own first-party data uh, and use that to to maximum effect, really. Third-party cookies, I mean, they've gone, if if you have an Apple device, Safari, they've long since got rid of a third-party cookie but like you say the big next step is chrome doing the same later this year 2024 maybe um which means um all third-party audiences will be impacted um we're talking about web analytics here so let's not forget the first-party cookie as well because most analytics platforms use a first-party cookie um but they've been impacted heavily as well so i'm talking about itp and which is safari and and apple's initiative browser privacy initiative where it will delete a cookie Uh, and likewise um regulation so you've got you have to ask for consent before you place a cookie for uh, in the in the eu uk a lot of places now um so that's having a big impact as well yeah. Okay. And Ruth, the same question to you. You know, what's your take on how the deprecation of these third-party cookies is going to impact brands and, of course, the industry? Yeah. Uh, so I obviously think it's a positive thing. Um, you know, just even as a consumer who uses quite a lot of websites, um, it's good. You know, the move move towards um, compliance and, and consent. I think, and this this these changes in the industry have been a good opportunity for brands to review everything they're doing in detail around ad tech and and MarTech and try and see how they can align it better um, with the sort of privacy centric technologies and some of the new cookie list tech um, that's emerging in, in the space. So yeah, for me, it's a positive thing. That's good. That's very good. I mean, what I'm going to do now is maybe move the conversation on a little bit with the, after those headlines, you know, both good opening positive points as we reflect on the changes ahead. It's good to hear you say you think this is a positive thing, Ruth. But Paul, let's start with an easy question for you. What What is GA and what is GA for and why is it important? Yeah, so um, I mean, GA, of course, is Google's free, uh, free to use web analytics platform platform. Uh, called Google Analytics. It's been around for, for years now, um, 16 years, I think. And it's used by 
quite a, a lot of brands, most of the internet, it would seem, um, to monitor their web traffic and activity of how people are using the websites. GA4 is really just Google's latest version of that tool, but it's not an incremental change. This is com- being completely redesigned from the ground up, so it is effectively a completely new platform. Okay, I see. So you say it's been redesigned from the ground up. What else can you tell us about the new platform? What's so significant about it? Yeah, well, I suppose it promises it's Google's you know, next step, really, to take Google Analytics into the next area and, and really help solve some of the big problems that the web analytics industry is facing today. Um, they've been working for, for many years now on a tool called Firebase Analytics, which was ori- originally just for apps, for, for app tracking. But in, in 2019, they, they announced they were going to be extending this platform to work about, across both apps and websites. And it's now referred to as GA4, was briefly called App and Web Analytics. Uh, but it's Google's vision for the future of how web analytics is going to be, really. Okay. And so, so what's the impact of GA4 going to be then for companies that use regular GA now, um, also referred to, I've seen, as UA, Universal Analytics? Yeah, well, firstly, it's it's a huge change really for everybody um, because it's an entirely new platform. Organisations are going to have to, um, I suppose, make a big change. There's a couple of, I suppose, if I could group those into two big changes really. Firstly, the we need to implement it's new tags. You've got a bit of retagging to do, and there's quite a job in implementing it. Hopefully, a lot of people are along that path already. Uh, but if you're not, do. <laughs> um, secondly, then. Um, Maybe the hardest, people are going to have to learn to use this platform. Um, it's a brand new interface, so people are going to have to learn the new interface. Um, it's going to be a new way of running reports and a new way of doing analysis. So, yeah, the, the, given that the entire digital market industry has been brought up on Google Analytics um, in its current form, so this isn't a kind of insignificant task that the industry is facing, really. Yeah, that's a good point to make. This isn't just like a sort of new version and incremental control. This is a complete control alt delete, if you like, in terms of replatforming and a, and a new system. Jimmy, if I can bring you in here, that to me sounds like quite a big deal, then, yeah? Yes, absolutely. It's huge. Um, like you just said, this is a completely new approach to to, to analytics, and the, the platform has been. Uh, it, it's not just a new iteration of the old version. It's a completely new platform. So they've re-engineered it from the ground up using that flat event-based model rather than a, a page view session-based one that would the, the previous versions have been. Um, so that flat structure gives you distinct advantages that we can uh, that facilitates what we'll come on to later. Okay. Um, so it's a platform widely used by the industry, being completely built from the ground up. Um, Jimmy, why do you think that Google have done this? Why have they completely rebuilt GA? Um, it's a completely different world now from, you know, uh, the 11 years ago when Universal Analytics was, um, you know, launched. So, you know, with, with uh, primarily that, that was a web analytics tool, so measuring a website. So now if you think about how we use the internet and interact with various brands and, and online medium, media, you know, we, it's across multiple uh, apps, different devices, mobile etc and and the number of interactions that it is exploded as well so ua was designed to track a single user on a, a single browser so now it's completely its ability to string what that user to did uh, did across all those different touch points is entirely flawed okay so and, and that's the main reason then it's that broken journey well no there's this you know, there's more more to it than that. There's there's the whole uh, privacy sensitivity and regulatory compliance um, going on at the moment. So as Paul mentioned previously, consent, you know, we can't always track people by default anymore. Um, so, you know, that also plays a role in being, you know, that fragmenting the user journey and not being able to see it all. Okay, so it's a it's a culmination of factors, basically macro factors as well that are, yeah. are really forcing this change. Um, Paul, quickly back to you, if I may. How is GA four then going to help tackle some of the problems that marketers have now? Yeah, well, I suppose for me, I mean, there's lots of reasons, but for me, there's four distinct parts that would split this down. And so, firstly, as Jimmy's touched on, 
um, this change in architecture. So we're going to this event. Everything in GA4 is tracked by the concept of an event with event name and parameters, dimensions to describe that event. So that simpler way of tracking, um, firstly and foremost, that's suitable for apps and websites and point of sale applications and CRMs and whatever applications we want to track into analytics. Uh, the old version was was very much designed for websites and the, the session-based activity. Um, but that kind of event-based structure gives us, it's, it's much more flexible, customizable, um, which is better for them. So you can really customize this to your how your business works. That event-based schema is faster. It's designed to be faster, to be interrogated and stored. It's more scalable for big websites. Um, and maybe more, most importantly, it's simpler to implement. This the way this very simple architecture is simpler to, to implement. And once an analyst has got through that learning curve of the new tool, it's, it, sh it should be simpler to use as an analyst and use as a tool and a reporting tool. Okay, okay, I see. And presume you said there's four key points? Yeah, well, I suppose secondly then, and this is, I suppose, where it gets clever, um, it's J4 is built to preserve kind of um, user data and paths. So, um, you know, like we've said before, users' users' journeys in this multi-device and, and privacy-sensitive world are, are, very, are getting very disjointed. So if you use different devices or have an app and a website um, or cookies get deleted, um, th those paths are getting fragmented and um, we're losing the ability to track those. Okay, and, and so how did it do that? Well, I suppose um, it's, it's to do with the way Google Analytics GA4 uh, joins users' data together, so events as, over time. Universal Analytics, just to stay, at works by placing a cookie, which has this kind of device ID, or you might have heard client ID, um, and it's a cookie ID that basically stitches everyone together. If that cookie gets deleted or you get a new computer, you're a new person as far as analytics is concerned. So J4 is much cleverer in how it does that. So firstly, if you've got an authenticated logged in solution, it will use your own CRM user ID if you output that in the tracking code and it will use that to join you up. So if you've got a customer that joined 10 years ago, analytics sees it as that same person 10 years on if they keep still logging in so that, that's the first way the second one is is a thing called google signals which is google's the use of google's own identifier and i'll, I'll touch on that in a, in a little bit but google we can make use of google's identifier to also stitch together um, users activity um, and then if those two things aren't available, it does still have the option to default back to that device ID, client ID that we talked about that UA uses currently. Um, and of course, user ID and signals, which is Google's ID, um, will persist over time because they're fixed. You know, they stay uh, in your CRM as the same ID, so they're much more uh, persistent and work across apps and websites and different devices okay that all sounds very very positive but just to go back to google signals that you, you mentioned there um can you elaborate a little bit on that yeah so google signals is um re refers really to the i suppose the use of google's own identifier um so if you're logged into an android device um or a Google account, you've got a YouTube account, a Gmail account, just a, a normal Google account. If you're logged in and you've consented to ads personalization within your Google account, you've given we've given Google permission to use that identifier to stitch together paths and also um, use that for ads personalization. Um, so yeah, it's Google's use of an ID to help stitch together people. Um, Okay, and that that isn't an infringement of Google's user privacy in itself, nothing like that. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, firstly, I'd say Google have obtained permission to do this, but before everyone goes and denies permission to that, I'd add a couple of very important things there. They only use this ID to process things like attribution data and users metric. Uh, and they do not share that ID okay. with the owner of an analytics account uh, in, say, for the example, the BigQuery export or the product interface itself. So they will not share those user identifiers or let you use them or access individual Google users' information at all. Um, the second thing is... <clears throat> um, 
they they take great steps to kind of observe users' privacy. So if if ever you're undoing analysis in the tool and you get down to a small segment of data that might possibly be identifiable to an in, individual, they apply what's called thresh what's called thresholding, which re- basically removes the visibility of these small segments. So they do do a lot to make sure there's no okay. personal information shared. So it's all protected. It's all private. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, you said there was a third point, third of four. Yeah, and um, yeah, so this is really kind of Google's attempt to kind of restore missing data and missing sessions. And what I'm really referring to here is people who have got cookie, um, are asking for cookie consent and not tracking people with the universal analytics because people aren't allowed to place a cookie. So, um, um, yeah, you know, it's possible if you have a cookie tool in place you might be losing anywhere from 10 to 50 60 70 percent of website activity depending on how you ask for that consent so google analytics 4 is built to restore help restore that missing data okay and how on earth does it do that um well yeah i mean it all comes down to a, a feature that google have with part of feature of google tag manager that uses uh, feeds into ga4 called google google consent mode um um we're, we're, which basically lets us track those non-consented users, but it does so without placing a cookie and breaking those cookie laws. Um, And then Google uses that to kind of model the missing data and provide more accurate conversion and attribution and user figures, really. So, um, yeah, it kind of restores that missing data by modeling and, you know, it still gets a bit of visibility and it models that. I see. So it's sort of modeling the gaps and giving us a fuller picture. How on earth does it join users' data together if you don't place a cookie? Yeah, well, I suppose to start with, it it collects the data without the use of that ID and it stores. So it it still tracks every hit and purchase and whatever you're tracking on your website or within your app. Um, But it does so without creating a cookie. So it sends that data and it marks that data as non-consented. So it has a, a separate kind of data partition of all this non-consented data. Um, and then it uses it uses that non-consented data combined with your the hopefully bigger set of consented data that uh, it does have permission um, to join together. And it kind of models the missing X percent and fills in those gaps. So I assume it also uses Google Signals to kind of help with that modeling and join that data and activity together. But yeah, without it does this without the placing a cookie. So it, uh, there's no cookie rules broken. Right. Okay. Some real gems in there. But you said you had a fourth point. So lastly... Yeah, so I suppose the the final one is um, it's kind of built to better attribute. Um, so um, it takes a new, you know, the, given the the way it preserves those paths and restores those paths using the me- the methods we've just talked about, it can provide a much better way of attributing. So it has um, more visibility across those users' journeys, um, and it can do that across device because it's using user ID. So if you log in on a website or and then in the app with the same user ID, it can join those paths. And again, with Google Signals, Google can help do that as well. So um, it uses this thing called conversion model to, I suppose, modeling to, I show, you know, show more accurate, but more accurate attribution figures. Um, Another thing is it uses a, a kind of significantly improved uh, data-driven attribution model, which is available to 360 customers and standard customers now, Okay. Uh, which was previously only a 360 feature. So everyone gets this kind of uh, data-driven attribution model. Uh, and it may also, as well as that, within those that know the current version of Google Analytics, those attribution models were only um, available in a one section of the site. Um, these this attribution model is is available throughout the whole set of reports um and that's something that universal analytics never did really so you you pick an attribution model and that attribution model is available through the through the interface okay well some real gems there quite a lot to take on board for people but thanks paul for that um jimmy i'd like to just bring you in here if i may you know one of the things we talk a lot about in in media and advertising are audiences and clearly there's a, a link from um, many of the tools we use into activating audiences. So, you know, what are your thoughts on GA4 and how it can help and should be used for audiences? Yeah, I think given the context of everything Paul's just talked around in persisting the view of the user, the audiences in GA4 are much more powerful. So 
you know, it's really easy to go into the platform and define and measure an audience based on the mark, you know, whatever definition I've, I've created for to, to based on a, a behavior or a volunteered data that the, those users might have given. So an example of this might be, be able to segment and measure new versus returning audiences and how we acquired those, or even um, audiences by topical interests. Um, then what we can do with that GA4 audience in that ecosystem, in the Google ecosystem, is then use that for reactivation in DB360 or Google Ads. So, um, so yeah, we can remarket and personalize messaging and do that across a more deep duplicated audience because of all the things that Paul's been talking about. Right. Okay. All right. Well, that is, all sounds very simple. I'm sure there's a lot more going under the hood. But anyway, um, Ruth, I'd like to bring you in now at this point, because of course, it's not just about GA and the technology. It's also about people. It's about the clients. And I know you've worked with a lot of our Havas clients over the years with their GA. Um, how have you seen clients using GA from a media point of view? Yeah, uh, so a lot of our clients obviously uh, use GA, uh, firstly, just for their own on-site performance. Are people getting through the user journeys? Are the forms easy to fill out, et cetera? And then obviously when it comes to media and advertising, GA is very much seen as a source of truth for um, how are we driving users to the site? Are they clicking on search ads, social ads, display ads, uh, organic traffic, direct traffic? Uh, so obviously we work a lot with our digital clients and trying to understand how the ads we're running are, are driving users um, into the site. And then the role of advertising a lot of times is to get them to the site, but then those new customers, if you like, are they getting through uh, the journeys uh, afterwards? Are they downloading brochures? Are they, you know, going through and, and converting, buying things on the site, signing up to newsletters, et cetera? Um, so, yeah, very much seen as a source of truth for that kind of um, measurement attribution, if you like. Um, so, yeah, obviously with GA4, we need to get used to seeing that as the source of truth for that, that kind of um, attribution. Okay, so new world, new future. We need to embrace GA4 more and more. You, you, you know, if I could distill that then from you, what are the challenges then for clients moving over to GA4 and why haven't all clients moved over yet? There's clearly a, a bit of a lag there. Yeah, yeah. So obviously it is it is human nature to be uh, weary of change. Um, you know, we've heard a lot of announcements, like it sounds like it's happening, but I'll leave it to the last minute. I'll just sort it out later because it doesn't affect my day-to-day -day, uh, work, but obviously it will impact the day-to-day, -day, you, know, you know, come July 1st, obviously we've managed to get first a lot, but um, that's, that's obviously a key thing to have in your mind. So um, yeah, I think it's just that reluctance to just, uh, just this thing that I have at the moment's working. So I'll just stick to that for now. Um, and another blocker I think is um, having expertise to understand what the change is uh, how to go about implementing it and, and things that got there. Uh, so I'd say that's the two uh, main things. Okay, so it's all about embracing change, not being fearful of it and make, making sure you do something. Um, on top of that, are there any gotchas people should be looking out for? Yeah, uh, so obviously it, is, it can be a complex change for some, some websites. So um, I think, um, yeah, get, getting uh, the web team and analytics team on board Early, uh, the most successful transitions are is when all stakeholders are aware of the change. So yes, it affects digital marketing. Yes, it affects um, you know all the advertising you're running. But you know your web and, and, and your analytics team need to be aware of all the change requests that are coming their way. So it can all be done in a very uh, controlled manner. Um, and yeah, like like we're saying, uh, just trying to get used to the new metrics. Uh, so as the guys have touched on, it is quite a different platform. Uh, so, you know, I used to log in on Monday and I used to pull this report in GAUA. How am I going to do that in, in GA4? What does that word mean? What's that dimension? I can't find that old thing. Uh, so I think it's there is a little bit of difference in, in the metrics. So getting used to it and, and getting comfortable with that is um, a really positive thing uh, to start doing. Okay. Um, you mentioned positivity there. So for, again, from your point of view, what, what have been the positive positives for clients who have already embraced GA4, those who've already taken that leap of faith? Yeah. So the guys have already started, you know, they've given themselves time to digest the differences, you know, in my Monday report, what actually is different, you know, even, you know, people have dashboards, how is that going to impact the downstream reporting from that? So 
uh, that's been useful, I guess, maybe more so for the clients as well. And then from, you know, even just from a media activation point of view. So my team activate campaigns, they apply UTM parameters and all of that. It's, you know, do we need to change anything there to align with how GA4 is grouping uh, different channels together? Um, so it's given everyone time in the organisation and, and organisations clients work with to feel comfortable and uncomfortable with the new interface and, and the new metrics. Um, Okay. And and would you say that you have to have used GA before in order to get the most from GA4? You know, not, not necessarily. Uh, so one of the best transitions I've been part of is where the client didn't have GA, UA before. Um, so they were just treating it like a brand new tool, looking at it for the first time and, you know, tech, taking it as it is. But, you know, obviously with people who've got GA, UA, and then they've got GA4, they're trying to do it precise, like for like. And then, you know, tying themselves up in knots, trying to make it the exact same. At the end of the day, it is a new platform and the numbers aren't going to be different. So treating it like a new thing with new insights, stronger insights, you know, you could argue. Um, so I think uh, that's a good way to look at it, to be honest. OK, well, that makes sense. And the other thing I wanted to touch on, because I'm aware of the, the broader Google ecosystem, you know, what about the connections, the integrations with the, the broader Google tech stack and the wider ecosystem? Yeah, so I think, I think Paul and Jimmy touched on earlier, but um, there is some features in the GA4 free version that you didn't that you had to be a premium version in UA to have before. So the integrations with your you might be running search ads, so you might be using SA360 and Google ads, and you might be running some display on Google's DB360 DSP platform. So those integrations now are just just part of GA4. So obviously from a marketing media point of view, that's quite useful. Um, and then in the wider Google ecosystem, you know, GA4 does have the consent mode feature, you know, the guys, you know, filling in the gaps, et cetera. Um, and then the, sig the signal um, modeling as well. So um, you know, it's really obviously, it's a Google technology. It's very well connected to uh, the other Google platforms. Um, so that's quite, quite good. Okay. And, and one other thing I've heard of, we you know, spoke to a client about this not so long ago. I've heard about server-side tracking is also part of a, of a future setup for clients. Anything you can share about that? Yeah, uh, so obviously I think server-side, you know, it's quite a positive thing. Sounds like um, it'd be great for site speed and, and site security. Um, I have been speaking to Paul about this because uh, he's actually done done some work on it, uh, real work, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so I think it's very uh, future-proofing. Um, and then in my opinion, like this is a time of change. Uh, you're going to have to set up GI4 anyway. So why not go like the full way and, and, and go server side? Um, so but obviously change is disruptive anyway. So I always think I try and do it, try and do it all together instead of doing one iteration now and then change it again in the future. But obviously time and, and expertise permitting. Yeah, that's a good message. If you're going to embrace change, embrace embrace it fully. Um, Paul, just picking up on that point that Ruth made about server side, perhaps you could just explain. Uh, to us and the listeners what that's all about and why it's important for brands yeah sure so yeah a server-side kind of tag management platform like google tag manager server-side um, provides several benefits really so just to explain kind of how it works conceptually instead of loading loads of ad platforms javascript file tags on your website in in a client-side tag container the whole idea of, of doing it is you would implement a very simple set of tracking on your, your website or, or your app. Um, and the best practice way would be to send a single stream of events into a web server, server-side GTM container. Um, and then that server can then do all the heavy lifting of firing Google tag, a Facebook tag, all this, these tags off to these different endpoints, uh, as well as quite a few other powerful possibilities really. Okay. Um, and, and what other benefits would this give us then, would give a client? Yeah, well, firstly, and one of the main ones is, is speed, really. So like I said before, you're not putting loads of heavy JavaScript snippets for Google Ads, for Facebook, and all these platforms into your website, okay. which means there's less for um, the website, you know, that your customers users uh, browser to do so that really means smaller web pages and smaller load within that browser it makes the, the user's browser faster uh, which is critical really for, for these days and the search engines are thinking so too because if you've got a slow website you don't get shown um yeah um there's also a big 
improvement really with regards to kind of control of data privacy um, and your ability to control it. So often marketers are willing to place all these JavaScript scripts and tags on a website without really understanding what they do. Uh, and a lot of them are, are just scraping all the cookie data and specific things and sending it to these different endpoints. Um, but you know, if you use a server container, you're sending, a, you've got a lot more control. So you, you can configure and control what you're sending to which endpoint and what you're sending to Facebook, what you're sending to Google Ads and all the other endpoints, really. So it's more control okay. and data privacy. And, um, you know, the, 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 and you can do other things like, so for example, you could set a server side cookie, which would get around ITP um, and improve things there. Um, and it also is a, b a bit better. At, um, I suppose not being blocked by an ad blocker because you're using your own first party domain. Ad blockers are less um, harsh at blocking if you use a server platform, which is quite a lot of traffic nowadays. Okay. We're starting to get quite technical there, uh, talking about server-side cookies. Jimmy, I, I just take you back to an interesting point that Ruth raised, which she says that some uptake of GA4 is from other previously uh, used web analytics platforms. You know, I could think of Adobe, for example. Um, you also mentioned about how GA4 can be used for audience activation and integrations with that broader uh, Google stack. Anything else you could share with us on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're fully aware that there are other analytics tools out there and we have clients that, that use things like Adobe. Um, they, A lot of our clients, though, do tend to dual implement GA4 alongside that just so that they can get the wider benefits of what we've mentioned before in terms of that audience feature and integrating with the wider Google stack. So, you know, in terms of uh, for value-based bidding or the audiences thing or um, or yeah, just potentially uh, pulling cost data and, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, it's absolutely a good idea to dual implement GA4. And um, it also could give you uh, some historic data should you ever wish to switch from Adobe to a GA360, for example. Okay, so dual implementation, good bit of advice there. Um, Paul, something we've heard consistently about in our, our previous webinars to date is that the use of first-party data is going to become far more important for advertisers. And, you know, before we start talking about GA4 and first-party data, perhaps you could just clarify for us what we actually mean by first-party data. Yeah, well, I suppose in, in this web context, um, the simplest type of first-party data is the data you collect by your web analytics tool. So having GA4 and being able to identify those users, for example, that have added something to a cart but then not bought in that session, even if they're anonymous and you don't know exactly who they are, it's still collected on your first party data. And the second and more powerful kind of type of first party data really is the data about your customers and users that you've collected within a CRM as an example. Um, so that's data that you really own about your customers. Okay, that's a great point to clarify the difference there in first-party data because often they're used interchangeably, but they too can be two quite separate data sources. Um, you know, leading on from that point then, Paul, tell me how GA4 can improve our use of first-party data then. Yeah, well, I suppose based on the fact that it kind of GA4 persists this user ID for logged-in solutions, that is, um, and it also uses Google Signals. I suppose any first-party audiences you create within GA4 um, are much more effective and they're much more likely to persist over time and you can transfer that uh, um, audience across device with Google Signals, for example. Okay. Can you give us an example of maybe that use of first-party data? Yeah, sure. So um, I suppose you'd always start with just a bit of GA Google Analytics behavioural kind of segments and audiences you know the example again before added to basket but not purchased um but you start with that but then you kind of you can kind of supercharge those type of audiences with um your own crm kind of intelligence so what crm segments have you built in 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 the do you, what do you know about your customers have you grouped your customers within you know for example customers that have a certain product affinity um, and if you can get that data into GA4 then it becomes very powerful. Um, another example might be um, 
combining, sending data about an offline event that a particular user has occurred. So if you start to include someone in an offline marketing campaign, send a little event into GA4 about that, um, and then all of a sudden you can start to include them in an audience and almost target them with the same message that your your mail campaign is giving, for example. Okay. And so assuming a brand has got access to first-party data and, of course, the right permissions to use it, how do they actually go about using it? Yeah, well, I suppose there's three fundamental ways to kind of ingest CRM first-party data into GA4. Um, the first and perhaps the most most straightforward is a thing called data import. This is a feature of GA4. And essentially what that means is if you track events from your website with a use your user's user id in it then you can load a file into um google directly with all your crm segments high value customer low value customer whatever um and it will widen that data in ga in the platform itself um so that's the first and probably the simplest uh, the second one is a thing called measurement protocol and that's where you set stream events as if it was coming from your website really from uh, other net internet connected devices like a CRM, like a point of sale application. Um, and then, yeah, that sends data in, in real time. Um, that can be user data. Um, and lastly, you could just input output CRM segments, user dimensions directly in the tracking code, but that's often a little less feasible and harder to do just because of the difficulties of tying CRM and CMSs yeah. together. Yeah. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> This, this whole area of first-party data is a really, really interesting one, and it's always interesting to clients because they often have it. Jimmy, anything that you can share with us in your experience of this? Yeah, um, just a few examples, I suppose, in terms of segmenting users and customers. Um, you know, if you, if you were an online bicycle store, being able to segment very different audiences such as road bike users or mountain bike users, uh, being able to view how you acquire them, how much you're paying against them, what behaviors they, they're undertaking on the site and how valuable they are is, is really powerful as well as um, you know the potential to personalize against those types of customer. Um, other example could be um, you know, media cost data from non-Google entities. So um, you can, perform a, a data import against uh, your Facebook activity, click-based, um, using the, the, the cost data out of the, the Facebook system. Uh, and then you, it'll be, you'll be able to review um, ROAS against you know, the rest of your channels within the Google Analytics sphere. Um, also, you can import profit. Um, it's, it could be as easy as a, a CSV upload, like Paul said. Um, of profit data against uh, individual SKUs. Um, so then you'll be able to view how much profit you're actually making and then activate that within the Google Ads ecosystem. It sounds like you know a lot of expertise there. There's lots of many different ways to actually apply this and make it happen and work for you. So I think lots of good advice there. Um, Ruth, if a client is listening to this, what would be your advice to them on the next steps they should take? Yeah, I guess um, step one for a client would be to understand what the status is of their GAUA or their GA4. Have they started? Is anyone aware of this? Or maybe they have started, but it's not really being used. Um, so you check your analytics team or whoever actually looks after um, your analytics platforms and then find out your action plan, I guess, uh, from there. Um, I guess, you know, I've said it before, but make sure everyone's aware of this in your organisation and all the different companies that you work with, you know, you may have one company, funny, it's one company for brand. Everyone needs to be aware that the reports are changing and their actual channels might look a little bit different than, than they used to. Um, and I think uh, we had we sort of had an analogy that we were discussing yesterday, but um, <laughs> if you're a digital marketer, uh, if you could see yourself as a manager, as a football team, uh, GA, UA, you know, that might be your star player at the moment. It's your go-to player playing for years, everyone likes them, the fans like them, et cetera. Um, so every game you have him on, on, the, on the pitch because you know, you know what he's about. And then you have a new player in, in your team that you've sort of recruited in, but I don't really know much about him. You know, GA4 obviously is a new player. Um, and, you know, they seem to have some skills and stuff but, that are different, but like you're not fully ready to understand it or embrace it. 
uh, just leave him on on the bench. You know, not ready. Uh, so I think uh, the advice would be if you want to be a good manager of your football team is to bring GA4 onto the pitch, uh, see how that affects the game, how does that interact with all your different digital marketing that you're doing. Um, and you know in the back of your head, GAUA is going to retire as a player, you know, going to retire on the 1st of July, potentially. Um, so to the 2023. Uh, so you know that you have to get the new player on to get him used to integrating with all of the different uh, things that you're doing. Uh, so, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say there is to bring in, you can't just have GA4 sitting in the background, which, you know, we have seen a lot of clients do. It's there, but it's not being used. It's on the bench. Uh, you know, get into it and use it and see how it could actually increase your um, performance in your football team. So, um, yeah, it's just about trying to get used to it and overcome that kind of resistance um, to change. I think that's a great, great analogy. And I think one that we can all relate to uh, many of us listening in. Um, all good tips. Um, it's very much about working with and managing internal stakeholders as well from what you, you'll said. But what if a brand does need further help? Yeah, uh, so, you know, I consult the experts, obviously, is a positive thing to do. And um, I think for me recently, for some of our clients, we've actually been working with search labs, obviously, with their GA expertise. Um, you know, it is invaluable having... If you're transitioning and you have someone who's done it before, you know, they have those kind of insights, can explain why the metrics are a little bit different, like how come new customers is a, is a bit different. Uh, so I think um, that is really useful, um, having those CFR hands uh, to help um, get to the technical stuff, but also the after part, uh, why are the reports different? Um, so I think that that's good. And yeah, I was going to say it again, make sure everyone's aware you can't have two teams looking at GA4 and then another team looking at GAUA and obviously the, you know, very different uh, stories being told then about the media. Uh, so everyone needs to be aware of the sort of line in the sand, we're moving over to this new system, you know, get, get used to it. And, you know, and, you know, and it's happening on Saturday, July, uh, 1st of July. Uh, so everyone needs to be, you can't be leaving it to then, you need to be doing it now, if not before now. So uh, yeah, just get on to it quickly um, and, and start feeling comfortable with it. That's great advice, Ruth. And I can see Jimmy nodding wildly in the background there, everything you've said. Um, Paul, we, we've heard a lot today about the GA4 and you've shared a lot of great insights. But could you maybe just distill into a final few points for us? What what steps we should all be taking? Yeah, I suppose you mean what's the plan and what's next then? So, what's the plan, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so we, if you're not on 360, you haven't got long. So yeah, we need to get on and implement, really. Uh, get those tags live so you're collecting data and you're not just starting from scratch at the last minute um luckily most people are doing that already but if you're not then please do get on that and think about it sooner rather than later so once you've got uh, the basics impl implemented you know I'd, I'd encourage everyone to kind of integrate with you know your crm get a user id if you've got an authenticated logged in system if you can use a soft login which persists the login um yeah, get on with that. Um, and then, then it's a case of just getting used to the new platform. Uh, Ruth has talked quite a lot there about, you know, it's not just a case of switching over and using it. There's a bit of a learning curve. Um, and it's it's about getting used to the new way of doing things and the different figures. They are different. They are better, uh, as we've said before, and we've said why. Um, so, yeah, it's really just get on with it, get, get along that learning curve and start asking questions before it's before you haven't got the, the the benefit of having both platforms to look at really and compare and contrast that's great advice thank thank you paul and, and and jimmy just finally from you what's the biggest thing would you say from your point of view yeah um a common question we always get is you know i can't move to ga4 because the numbers aren't matching um to put it bluntly, universal analytics numbers are not fit for purpose. Um, to use Ruth's analogy, it's past it, you know. So the where it's not giving you the full picture now, and you know you will be seeing um, huge uh, skew in terms of attribution towards direct brand, homepage, organic, etc., because it's not being able to persist that user journey across the multiple touch points. So GFO is doing everything today to mitigate the, the holes in the data, persist the, the, the data while being privacy compliant uh, for a cookie-less future. Um, so basically, in summary, the data coming out of GFO today is absolutely more accurate and more trustworthy than the data coming out of Universal Analytics. 
That's a, a great point to end on, Jimmy. So thank you very much. Thank you very much indeed. Listen, I'm just going to do a quick wrap up of, of what we've heard today. Um, these are sort of the takeaways for everyone listening to the call right now. So, so first things first, if you take nothing else away from today's session, it's clearly that the 1st of July should be a date clearly on your, your roadmap and on, on your calendar. So you're understanding the switch over from GA traditional or universal through to, to GA4. It's going to be switched off. Um, GA4, it's Google's latest version of their web analytics tool. They've redesigned it from the ground up. It's a completely new platform. So this is not an evolution. This is a completely new platform. Um, lots of advantages with that. You highlighted many of those, Jimmy. It's now an event-based platform rather than a session-based one. It's also designed for the way we live our lives. You think about how our lives were 10 years ago, 15 years ago. We're now always on. We're always connected. We're multi-device. GA4 is also privacy-centric. We need to think about that very much in terms of, of, of regulation and consent. Um, and Google's own IDs help to stitch events and data together. When adopting GA4, brands are going to face two main challenges. Firstly, implementing new tags. You need to get on and do that. And secondly, and perhaps the hardest thing, is learning how to use this brand new interface. But at the end of the day, you've got to take that leap of faith and think about how you're going to be running your reports and doing your analysis. We have from Paul there that GA4 preserves and restores user paths. Really key with those broken journeys. It provides a much better insight into attribution if you trust the data, and you should. GA4 can be incredibly important to activate audiences from your uh, web first party data back into the Google ecosystem. Another reason that you might want a dual approach to running GA4 alongside any other web analytics that you have. GA4 can also be your new single source of truth if you trust it, as we heard Ruth say. So we're not measuring accurately today using old GA, so we need to embrace GA4 and move forward with that. The other key thing I think is GA4 allows integrations with the broader, the wider Google stack in their free version. You don't have to be a premium customer now to get the benefits of all of those integrations. And then finally, cookie-less is a positive thing for our industry. We heard that right at the beginning. It's making them more, the web more privacy-centric for all of us, for our, for our consumers. So those are the takeaways. And it just leads me then to say, thank you very much for joining me today, Jimmy. And thank you, Ruth. And thank you, Paul, for your great insights. Uh, we'll be sharing all the content from this deck afterwards. It'll also be available on our website. But thank you all very much. Thank you. Thanks. Right. So it just leaves me to say, yes, if you'd like to find out more, if you'd like to look at previous webinars that we've run, if you'd like to re-listen to this one, everything will be available on our website, embracingacookielessfuture.com. You can clearly see on the screen there. Um, and it just leaves me to say one final thing. This is going to have an impact, but don't panic. Change can be good. Thank you all very much for joining us today.